Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. So I'm going to assume, I'm going to assume that all of you have very strong opinions about things that you like and don't like. Like you certainly like things where you want a vacation. The best place to vacation, you know where it is. It's by a lake up north in the woods, right? Everybody says that. That's my favorite place. And my wife says, yeah, right. Give me sand beaches. Give me blue waters. Like, give me a place where my toes are up off the, in the sand and she's having a best time. Or the best car. The best car in the whole world is a Chevy. The best in the whole car in the whole world is a Ford. We all know, of course, Ford wins that. And then it comes to our favorite sports teams. Now, we have some transplants here who will not be named directly. It was Nick, the one who gave the announcement this morning with the bald head. He's a transplant from Denver. And so his favorite team is the Broncos. Now, not everybody has the love of God on them to be called Packer fans, right? So, well, I mean, we all know the best sports team ever is the Green Bay Packers. But as we grow in life, we have all these really, really, really strong opinions. So one of the things we are mostly opinionated about is food, food choices. So I went to Reader's Digest, and there are eight of the most loved or hated foods out there, the most polarizing foods. Now, I want to see what you think, honestly. So if you were me, if I were you, I was sitting there. I'm like, I'm not going to participate because I'm too cool. Look, we're Mosaic. We're, we're a family here. You're going to participate because I can see you directly if you don't do it. So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to go through food. And if you like this food, you don't have to raise your hand. Just, I just want to see if you match up with the national average. Give me a little bit of a hand, okay? At least a little bit. If you're proud of that food, I want you to get up and wave it around, right? So here we go. The first one. Hawaiian pizza, okay? Should pineapple be on pizza? If that is your thing, put your hand up. Let's see where you're at. Okay, okay, we see, we have about 30, I'd say about 30 some percent. The national average is 46% of people like Hawaiian pizza, 46%. So if you don't like it, you are normal. Here we go. Black licorice, black licorice. Let's see those hands, the black jelly beans, we know who we are, black. Okay, man, we're about 30%. We are an opinionated group of people. 46 or 47% say yes to black licorice. Here's a polarizing one, peeps. Those little peeps, sugary, marshmallowy. Come on, let's see it. Be prop. That's like 20% right now. The national average is 51% of people like peeps. You know what's great for peeps? You put those things over a, a campfire and stick them in it and make them a s'more. You got sugary s'mores. They're delicious. Oysters. Oysters. Those slimy, mucusy, snotty things. All right, let's see. Obviously, you see my opinion. Man, I see that. 53% like oysters. You guys are pretty average on that one. Okay. Blue cheese. Blue cheese in all of its glorious forms in dressings, on salads, all right? We have a pretty high amount of blue cheese, 66%. Hey, you guys so far are totally normal. Good job. <laughs> candy corn. Now, candy corn. I see that hand. I see that hand. You know what? You can have it because only 52% of people like candy corn. 
and 48% say no. Olives. Olives. Who likes olives? Whoa. Okay. You guys, it's 67%. 67% of people like olives. You guys are probably about 75% right now. Now, this is, this is just, I, I don't know why I put this in here. It's not even making sense, but anchovies. Who in the world likes an anchovy? Raise your hand. We want to know who you are. Okay, a couple of you out there. Okay, this is way below the average. 55% of Americans like anchovies. I haven't met five people. I've met two today who like anchovies. Oh, my goodness gracious. So we have lots of opinions. We're polarized in a lot of our ideas. And our culture is highly opinionated. And we now have the ability to tell everybody what we think all the time through social media and internet. So nobody cares what you think, but you tell everybody what you think. Like, this is the dumbest sermon I've ever heard, and you're going to tweet that later, or whatever it's going to be, right? We can throw our opinion on the internet. We can say blue cheese is the greatest thing ever. We can say real vacations only happen on white sand beaches. Whatever we think, we get to throw out there. And the question is, who in the world would ever love wine pizza? Because it's terrible. I mean, it's not good. Sweet should never be put on sort of a pizza, in my opinion. But then there's anchovies. They're salty, and they're fishy, and they're slimy, and they're gross. You put them on pizza. But in my opinion, I can't eat them. Black licorice is one of the greatest things God's ever created. I love black licorice. It is so good. Give me all the black jelly beans. My mouth turns all purple. And... I love it, but that is my opinion. And so you sit yours, you're like, I don't agree with you. And these two opposites can come and clash with each other a lot of times. Now, these are silly things, but when we get to serious things, our extremes of what we feel about life can be very polarizing. And then when you think about life, think about all the things that you are so unbelievably proud of. I've worked hard. I'm proud of that moment. Maybe you had to work your way through college. And you paid for everything yourself. And you got that degree. And nobody helped you. So that's one of my highest crowning achievements. Or perhaps you had no help growing up. You graduated high school, went into the workforce, and worked hard your entire life. And where you are today is because of all the work and sweat that you've put into your job. Perhaps getting that grade on that last exam was one of the coolest things you've ever done. Like I worked so hard in that class. And I had to put all my effort, and I got an A on a test where I thought I was going to fail. And we put all these efforts in. These things are super proud of. And there's these things we're not proud of. I'm not proud of the fact that I hurt somebody. I'm not proud of the fact that the other day I didn't really try on that. Not proud of it. Then we get into those, we go into the more extremes. Things where you have possibly changed someone's life. And then you go to the fact maybe that you've broken somebody's life. And you take these two extremes, and everywhere in between this spectrum is we call pretty much everyday life. We have extremes that kind of mark our two ends, but every day we're living out this middle over and over and over again. And today we're going to talk through an aspect of God that we don't often think about. That God is unbelievably relentless. That God is always pursuing us no matter where we are on the spectrum of extremes, if we are, in our opinion, winning, or if in our opinion, losing, God is there. And in between, in all the mundane, God is there. That no matter where we are on the spectrum, if we're doing great things or terrible things, 
God is there. That in the darkest parts of your life, God still loves you. For all the mistakes you make, God still loves you. For every time you messed up, God still loves you. And there's absolutely nothing you can do to ever change that. He just does. Now, if this is the first time you've ever heard this, perhaps that's a bit of a shock. Because of our culture and our background, we think of love of something that is earned. Like, I have to work really, really, really hard for God to love me. And depending on your religious background, you've heard, if I do good things, I am in God's favor. God's happy with me. If I do bad things, God is unhappy with me. He doesn't like me right now. Like a moody parent. He has this back and forth kind of feeling about us. He likes me. He doesn't like me. He loves me. He doesn't love me. And so our extremes, even within our faith walk, can be, well, I'm too messed up to walk into a church. Quote, if I walk into a church, the building will fall down. Maybe you've said this or you've heard people say this. I have to get my life together before I would go to church. Does this sound familiar to any of you who have heard these things? Because I feel because of what I've done, there's no way that God could have any interest or care. Like, he is going to kill me if I go anywhere near him. Then there's these people on the other side. And the other side is like, I've done all these wonderful things. God, you owe me. God, I've been working so hard for you. I know because I'm such a good person, I'm going to go to heaven. Because I'm so good and I help the people who are hurting, I'm charitable, I'm loving, I'm kind, I don't kick puppies, I hug babies. Name the thing that you want to name. These good things put me in this place where God's light goes right upon you. And then there's all of us who live in these in between. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I'm good, sometimes I'm bad. And so this relationship with God fluctuates within ourselves. And so you're here this morning, possibly fluctuating. Maybe you're thinking the building's going to fall down. I'm glad it hasn't yet. Thank you for coming, okay? Perhaps you think you had such an awesome week that God just is so enamored with you for how good you are. Or perhaps you said, you know what? I want to make God happy with me, so I'm going to go to Mosaic this morning. It does not work at all that way, at all. Because our extremes and how we put things out there is something that we've manufactured in our minds. Because when you go simply to the scriptures, God creates a way for us that is just, he simply loves you. He just does. Now, I want to be very clear. He's also a good father. And there are things that happen in our life. And understanding things that we do that are outside of what is good, we call that sin. That when we live outside God's plans, there's going to be repercussions because sin leaves scars. The things in which you've done, you say, I'm not proud of, are probably scars on you. And let me explain scars. Scars are something that you look back down upon and, and as we age and as we go through things of life and as we get beat up, and I'm a kid from the 80s who, who skated all the time. I was a skater of the 80s. Probably tell by my cool hair, right? So I would skate and I have literal skin on the right side of my leg where I can't feel it. You can like jab it because I killed the nerves in there. And I remember what I did when I touched that area because I can't feel it. And I look at my arms like, oh, I remember when I did that. 
and you look, perhaps you've had a surgery. Oh, I remember that. Scars are healed, but they remind you of what happened during that time. Some are small and faint, and they go away over time. Some are huge and large, and every time you look at it, you remember a painful time of your life or perhaps something that happened. Sin leaves scars. And like a good father, God says to us, look, I have a way for you that I really, really, really want for you that's going to be better than what you think. And if you don't sin, you're not going to have to go through that, and then you're not going to have that scar. Just like any good parent, we don't want our kids to go through something horrific and have to go through a huge operation and have all those scars over their body. We want to prevent them from that. But at the same time, God says, I have something for you. But if you go out of what I'm telling you to do, if you sin, it's going to leave a scar on you. I still love you. I'm still by your bedside with you. My love hasn't changed for you, but it's going to damage you because of your choice. Sin leaves scars. And today we're going to take a look at a verse in Romans chapter 8. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, if you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles under the chairs. Feel free to grab that one. Romans chapter 8, verse 38 to 39. Um, I encourage you every week to read the word for yourself. Get into the word. Uh, there are great apps that you can get with free Bibles uh, and different things. But if you don't have one, please take the ones that are under the chairs. Those are for you uh, to take home. Romans chapter 8, verses 38 to 39. And as you're flipping, I'm going to give you lots of time. So I want to set this verse up for you. The author Paul has been teaching up to this point what the Son of God has done for all of humanity, who Jesus is and what he has done. And what he has shared with us up to this point, coming up to this point that he has in 38 and 39, is that God has created a way for all of humanity to be freed from the mess that we've created. So I'm going to backtrack all the way to the beginning. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you the whole Bible in five minutes. This is pretty cool. You messed up. That's the end of it. No, it's kidding. It starts in the beginning. Things are perfect. God creates us. Humans were good. We rebelled against God. We started this problem of creating sin. Sin leaves scars. So sin is causing more and more problem. And sin is like a virus. This thing that is so ingrained inside, it starts to spread. And it spreads from generation to generation. It starts to infest us. And it infests us so deeply that there's no way that we can fix it. And the more that we get in this world of sin, the more it keeps happening and it keeps spreading. It's still happening in our world today. Sin leaves scars. So all of this damage is killing humanity over and over and over again. And so God, through the rest of the Old Testament, does something amazing. He says, okay, I'm going to fix something for you now. We're going to leave hope here and I'm going to get you back on track. So people say, oh, we're so sorry, God, to get back on track. And then they mess up. They said, God, we're sorry. They come back on track. And this pretty much is the theme of the entire Old Testament. We messed up. God changes them. We're sorry. They go back over and over and over again. And what this shows us in the pattern of life is that there's no way that we're going to break the virus. We have brought it into the world. It's infesting us. It's killing us. And only one thing can happen. God has to have a remedy. And so Paul shares with us that the remedy is simple. Jesus Christ came. He was innocent blameless, the son of God, and he took the punishment for the virus which we've created. The wages of sin is death. Death. So this, the worst thing that can happen is death. We're done. But it wasn't just death with our physical, it was death with our eternal spiritual. Because in the beginning in Genesis, we are created different than all of other creation. 
God breathes into us and something's different about us. We are made in his image. We have this thing that goes on forever where other things pass and fade. We as humans are called the sons and daughters of God. We're a specially made thing. And since because we're the specially made thing, the virus that we carry is passed on and kills all of us. That's what we call sin. So now sin is ended when Jesus Christ comes, says, I'm going to do something they can't do. I'm going to save them. So I'm going to die for them. My death is going to be a way that there's now a cure for sin if people want it. But what they have to do is they have to admit that they need a cure. You have to admit it. You're sick. You're not good enough. You're not going to go to enough church. You're not going to do enough nice things. You're not going to read your Bible enough. You aren't going to give to charity enough. There's nothing you can do to fix the virus. You just have to admit you need someone to fix it for you. That's it. And so this now begins when Jesus comes in the New Testament. And now we're fighting with this because we don't want a savior. I'm good enough. And we start finding extremes to fix the virus. But Jesus said very clearly, you're not going to fix it. And he makes it clear. Stop sinning. Stop spreading the virus. Making sense? So now we move into this amazing passage where Paul has set this all up. And this is all, of course, paraphrase. He sets it all up. Read the book of Romans if you haven't before, even Romans chapter 8. Beautiful, beautiful passage. And he says this, Romans chapter 8, verses 38 to 39. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love that God has in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul's using some extremes here. I'm going to say something this way and that way, up and down, left and right, forward, backwards. He is showing you that this love that is sent through us, through what Christ did, never ever, ever can we remove from the love that was sent through Christ. Ever. So let me read this again. Think about what, how extreme this is. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There are no extremes. And there's nothing in between that's going to make God say, I don't love you because of what Jesus Christ did. But we want to break this down. First of all, this, God's love is unaffected by our extremes. He takes the greatest pairs of extremes, life and death. And young babies are the most amazing, beautiful things in the world. They come out. And they are just completely innocent. Like, life is theirs to have. We have all this hope and expectation in the future. And as they grow, they're so excited. And you know one of my quotes is, and I'm kind of a melancholy guy sometimes. I'm chipper and happy, but I'm melancholy. They lied to us in kindergarten. I wish they would have told me what life was really like in kindergarten. They said, you know what? Hey, ABC, one, two, three. Life is hard, Jason. Time to pull up your bootstraps. You're going to go through a lot of stuff. People are going to break your heart. You're going to be hurt. You're going to be damaged. But you have to keep going on. That's kind of, I mean, that's not a great kindergarten teacher. Probably get fired. But, but isn't that really like what life was really about? Those who lived 
longer here in this room. You have ex gone through more extremes than any of us ever have, both good and bad, highs and lows, life and death. Some of our older friends here this morning have seen friends die. They've seen family members die. They've seen family members born. And there's this great joy and excitement on that birth and innocence of that baby, yet on the other side of things, such great mourning when someone is lost to death. And everything in between, those extremes, the, and then we look at even further, uh, we look into the time, we look into the starts and the stops, the seasons, the days, the nights, everything that has a left and a right, beginning and end, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And when we start to look at what it means to be loved by God, we start to put ourselves into our own way of thinking and we chart everything. So I have a chart here. I'd like you to throw up on the slides. And this chart shows just an example of what it means to be inside of God's love. We look at the chart and we say, okay, we're good and we're bad. There's life and there's death. Those who are early in life, okay, just born, and they're good because they haven't messed up that much, get to swing down to the lower left quadrant somewhere. And some who are like, ah, I'm kind of in the middle, I'm kind of good, and I'm kind of bad. Maybe I go right in the middle, but, you know, but I'm older, so I got to slide over a couple notches because I'm closer to death, but I'm still in the middle. Which part of this circle do you start to say God's in love with you? What extreme do you say God does not love you? And, and we would start to think, well, this is very clear. People who are older who have screwed up their life, God's done with them. People who are young and have an opportunity for life and are screwing everything up, well, God's done with them. But they have a chance still to work on it. Perhaps we take a look at this chart and say, you know what? I don't even know where I am on this chart. But we, when we talk to people about God's love, there's always a tension there. Because you start to put yourself, well, I'm not as good as this person. And so there's this beautiful um, analogy I, I like to do with people. And just we'll do it uh, fictitiously in your own mind this morning. And it's this. If I were to take a, a line and I said, okay, who's like the worst person you can think of? You know? And if they say, well, it's you. I'm like, okay, I'll put me down there. No, it's uh, Adolf Hitler. Fair. Adolf Hitler, for those of us in the Milwaukee area, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer. I mean, really these really gross people, right? We just think, ah, oh, these people are nothing. And I said, okay, who's someone just like amazing? Like, who would you put out there like, man, there's like Jesus and like this person. Like, well, Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, my grandma. I mean, you name it. They're at the top of the chart. And I said, okay, well, where do you fit into this spectrum? If, if you've got Adolf Hitler down here and grandma at the top, where are you? And like, uh, well, I'm kind of in the middle. Like, I suppose I'm kind of good. And I'm kind of, I'm in the middle. I'm like, great. Okay, great. Where's the cutoff for heaven? And they're like, what? <laughs> Where, where's your cutoff for heaven? Where's God saying, I love you so much you get to come? Is it like, is it above you or below you? And I'm like, well, where do I rank? Am I in there somewhere too? Put me on this chart. And we start to realize like, well, I can't put a level. And if each of you did this, you would all mark a different spot in that line. Depending on how you feel about yourself and where you are in life, you may put yourself above or below. And why this analogy is so powerful is that, believe this or not, because of Christ Jesus, that entire line's encircled with God's love. 
Now we say, wait, 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 wait. Adolf Hitler was a terrible, terrible human. I mean, he did the most, I mean, the worst things ever. You're going to tell me that God loves Adolf Hitler. In Christ Jesus, yes. In Christ Jesus. Now, once we come to that point of death, and once that time we are done with our lives, and we stand before God, our time of admitting that we need someone to save us is over. That's the end of the story. Now, I don't know Adolf's life. I don't know if he came to Christ. I don't know anything about that. We just know the atrocities of what he's done. And I don't know about your grandma. Grandma may make a great apple pie. She may have never done terrible things in her life. But understand that both are inside the love of God through Christ Jesus when we admit that we need someone to save us from the virus we carry. And we don't, I don't like how that feels, honestly. I don't like telling you that. It's like, oh, it just stirs inside of you because somehow I want to say, here, this is the mark right here. But that's not what God's love is. And though it may stir inside of you a little bit, it should give you a complete and utter joy to know that you, no matter where you are, are surrounded in God's love. God's love is being lavished and poured out on you day after day after day after day. And last week, if you missed, we talked about loving our enemies. God's love is being lavished on all of your enemies day after day after day. This is just what a relentless love looks like. Now remember, sin leaves scars. And the fact that we have to admit that we need a savior is the dividing line. Because those God's love is here for all of us in humanity, that those who accept Christ, when it comes to the after portion, the life that continues on because we're made different in God's creation, those who say, I just need, I need a savior. That's all, I just need a savior. Like I caused the problem, I'm part of the problem. We now have eternal life. And the love of God now carries on forever. The other portion is, I don't want God. And we see in the scriptures that people actually curse God to his face. That scares me to all new ends because right now God is spinning stars in his hand and is like holding things like, like he's God. And he's like, how could someone do that? People do it, right? That separation we call hell. Now, I don't know all the nuances of hell. We could debate that all day and there's lots of teachings on that. But let me just say this. This is what hell is to me. God removed his love from me. You have never in your life as a human experienced God removing his love from you. The thing, the being which has created you says he turns his back on you. And when you look at when Jesus was on the cross, he says, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? A verse that is seen in, in the Gospels. He's like, he turned, God turns his back from him as he is taking all the sin of the world on him that Christ experienced what that felt like. And he's crying out, don't. So what if hell is all these things we could talk about? Again, not for this morning. God's love removed from you. You have no idea what it feels like. Because in your darkest, deepest days, you still don't know. In your worst moment, in the middle of sin, his love is still being lavished on you. That's a relentless love. I don't love anybody like that. My love is temperamental and my love is extreme. Give me gifts, I love you. Buy me coffee, I really love you. Do mean things to me, I start to hate you. Do a lot of mean things to me, I start to speak ill against you and I start to get this dark spot in my heart for you. Do a lot of mean things to me. You guys know, right? I'm not the only one. 
And then I'm trying to root this evil out of my heart because it starts to dig deep inside of me. This is not the love that God has. That's our human, messed up, virus-filled love. His love, unbelievably relentless. And then we move on. God's love is not affected by other powers, time, or distance. He goes into the past about angels, principalities. He's talking about all these different things that are out there. Time itself cannot change God's love for you. He does not love you more when you're baby or more when you're older. He does not love you more when you're doing great things or when you're doing terrible things. God's love comes over all of us. God's love is not affected by who is in the office of the United States of America. God's love is not affected by who is the ruler of North or South Korea. God's love is not affected by anything about the things we waste so much time arguing about. Where his, gov- his love lasts, his love is in the middle of all of it for all people for all time, reaching out saying, I have a purpose and a plan for you. That's love. But back to our extremes in social media, we as believers have taken a lot of time away from talking about love restoration, transformation. We spend a lot of time talking about things that don't matter to God. We argue about things. We get mad at each other about things. And I'm saying this, if we spend as much time bringing love into the world as we do bringing hate, anger, frustrations, I'm talking about me, right? I, if I would spend more time bringing love, this type of love into the world for all people, I think the whole world would be transformed. It took 12 young men who were disciples who transformed the entire world by starting a message of love that Jesus left for him when he went into heaven. Matthew chapter 28, he changes the whole world. 12 young men. 12 young men changed the world. We have more than that here. Could you imagine what we could do if we really believed this type of love? Now, I want to say this. I've been very extreme. This is an extreme talk. I warmed you up for it by talking about black licorice. Let me be clear. There's a lot of pain right here sitting in this room. There's damage that has done, been done to you by people. And you are probably saying, if God loves me, then why did this happen? I, I understand. I do a lot of counseling. And I'm not writing off what people have done to you. Remember, sin leaves scars. That is not plan A for God, is to bring evil into the world. Plan A is to bring love into the world. And on behalf of the people who probably won't apologize to you, let me apologize for you. That was not and is not God's plan. Then there's this question that comes up, well, if God loves me, how can he allow these things to happen? And that's a great, hard question. We could go, there's so many sermon series being birthed out of this talk right now. But let me just be, make it very quick and concrete. Why is God patient with you when you birth sin into the world? Every wrong thing that you're doing, why does he keep loving you? It's easy to point my finger at somebody else who's hurt me, and I have scars that are deep, just like many of you. It's easier for me to point there, but then when I do something, I want to deflect my pain that I'm causing and look back at somebody else. Well, this is happening because this person did this to me, 
So now it's, it's, I'm going to change that. And this is, the, this is what I'm going to tell you right now. This is why we follow Jesus Christ. There's many, many reasons. But through the Holy Spirit, we can stop the virus of sin. And pain that came to us can now be changed into I love out. Because I was damaged, I can love somebody else. Your story of pain and damage can be given in love to the rest of the world. Whatever has happened to you, hate can be turned to love. And the world will stop and ask you the question, why in the world would you be so loving? And I'm telling you, it's only because God is real. Because if you can turn the pain of your life into love, that's something supernatural. We don't have the ability to do it ourselves. This is why a life with Christ isn't about a religion and coming listen to a guy talk. I'm glad you're here. That's not the point of this. The point of this is that I believe with my entire life, you can change the entire world if you embrace the story that God has for you. That that which you take into your life, the pain, the hurt, even the love is transformed into God's type of love that goes out into your families, your workplace, your communities, and the world. I believe it with my whole heart. That's why we're here. I believe that love wins. I believe with my whole heart. And there's a familiar verse that you've heard before, but I want to read this to you and read actually a little bit past it. John 3.16, you've seen it on football games, you've seen it on Tim Tebow's eye patches, all those kind of stuff. I want to read this to you. I want you to hear the entirety of John 3, 16 through 18. It says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his world, Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed the name of God's one and only Son. Christ Jesus is the only answer we have to the virus of sin. Christ Jesus, this love that we have of God, this universal love, this relentless love is found only in the person of Jesus Christ because he is the solution to the problem we created. That's it. You're not going to be good enough. You're not going to do enough nice things. You're not going to be religious enough. You have to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ and have him transform you into this completely new type of love. Again, there's so much pain sitting in this room. There is. There's just pain here. I know some of your stories. There is pain in this room. And I'm not telling you to not look at your scars. Our scars can be a great remembrance to say, do not do that again. Like as a boy, and I'm going to speak for most of the males in this room, it is a miracle of God I'm still alive with all the stupid things I have done. Uh, the things I have jumped off of, the things, I, I mean, I could tell you story upon story, like as a boy, I, now I assume the sisters in the room are smarter than us as boys because as young guys, we just punch each other in the face, we hit each other with sticks, we jump off of cliffs, and, uh, and the girl's like, why would you do that? That's so dumb. You're just smarter than us. It's a miracle that I'm standing here and alive. And I've hurt myself many times. I have scars. And I learned if I do that again, the outcome is probably going to be the same. Don't do that again. So scars can be a remembrance. But also at the same time, it's really important for us to stop sin. Because we are birthing the virus back into the world. So my question for you this morning is, is very simple. Do you have this type of love in your life? 
Like, do you really fully understand what it means to have a real relationship with the living God? Are you possibly on the spectrum of trying to do good things, trying to appease him, make him not strike you down with lightning or that kind of story of God? Are you in that ecosphere of thinking, I'm going to just make him not mad at me? Or perhaps you're in the world of, I've done so many terrible things. I'm really, really surprised that this place hasn't collapsed. Like, you don't understand. Like, everywhere in between that you sit this morning, do you really understand the love of God that transcends all things, that has no extreme, no boundaries, that you are inside of this circle that just is because of his love and grace for us? It's simple. And I've broken it down to something that's very clear. Like, what does it really mean, Jason, to, to have this? And if you've been in the church world for a while, you've heard lots of different things. I think it's as simple this way. I bring it down to admit, transform, and go. What does it mean to be a real disciple of Jesus Christ? First of all, admit it's, it's you. I'm the problem. Like, I am the issue here. I have broken the relationship with God. I have sinned. I'm the one here. When I look at these stories, like God's loving me, but I've rejected that. You have to admit that. And once you admit that, you turn from that. So if you have said, I want a a life with Christ, a relationship with Christ, it's not about perfection or doing everything 100% right. It's about admitting it. I am the problem. I am birthing sin into the world. Then you transform. If you truthfully, honestly want a relationship with God, you now say, maybe God is smarter than me. My favorite quote, you'll hear it all the time. Maybe God is smarter than you. If God is smarter than you, perhaps he has a way for the thing in which he created to live the right way. There's an instruction manual. His way of living might be better than the one that we're creating through our virus-plagued eyes. And his way of living turns hate to love. It's forgiving. It's gentle. It's kind. His love is very serious and is relentless. And so transformation is a big, huge word. Now I take my whole life. What does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? And so I'm not just putting a bunch of stuff in my head, which we tend to do too much in our Western culture. Put a lot of stuff in my head. It's not about our head. I learn something so that I do something. That is why we have community groups. It's not enough for a church to come and say, oh, we love our community, yay, and do nothing. We love our community and we're putting our money where our mouth is. Currently, everything that we take in, 16% of what comes in goes into the community in the world. We're going to be, as we grow, a church that gives 25% of everything we have into the community in the world starting. Then we're going to give more into the community in the world. We're not here for us to have a country club. We're here to change the world, and that's what I believe. I believe that we can change other countries. We can change Washington County. And I believe it's not just money not just resources, it's our hands and our hearts. And if we really believe in this love, the the admitting moves to transformation of who I am and who I am now since I go. Because if I'm simply sitting and not doing, I'm not being obedient to what God's called me to. Which is as a disciple, I admit, I transform, and I go. Three simple words. That's what a relationship with Jesus Christ is. It all starts with admitting. Admitting that you've sinned. Admitting that you don't make the mark. Admitting there's no way on that spectrum that you're going to make it. Because you're not. You just are loved just the way that you are. And so that's your decision. And if you've never made that decision or you have questions about it, 
We're going to be in the back after service. Myself, Nick will be back there. Love to talk with you more about what it means to follow Christ. It's a lot simpler than how we make it. You just have to admit that you're a sinner. And I say admit you've messed up, admit you're the problem. That's the hard part because you're not good. Then we transform. Then we go. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering. For service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.